In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today is the first Sunday of Masoret, um, and it's also within the fast of St. Mary, so hopefully we're all fasting. It's a very short fast, and it ends on August 22nd. So if we haven't begun fasting already, please begin, and uh, may God end it in peace and tranquility, Amen. So today's Gospel reading is about the wicked uh, vine dressers in the vineyard. This is um, this parable is mentioned in, in all three of the synaptic gospels, in the Gospel of Saint Matthew, the Gospel of Saint Mark, and today's reading in the Gospel of Saint Luke. It's also mentioned uh, just to emphasize its importance. It's also mentioned in one of the early uh, Gnostic heretical gospels, the Gospel of Thomas. Uh, of course, it was a uh, you know heretical writing, but it's still old nonetheless, and it shows you the importance of this gospel. Christ often spoke in parables um, to the people for many reasons, because parables are a great benefit to us. Um, they compel us and they kind of uh, make us eager to have curiosity and attention and reflection. It kind of gives us a, uh, a deeper uh, invitation to understand its deeper meanings. It allows us to, um, it allows the listeners to not be turned off by an immediate and sudden message, but kind of eases you into that message uh, gently. Uh, it conceals the truth from those who are a little bit lazy from understanding the truth of the gospel or too blinded by prejudice. Uh, so it kind of tests the character of the hearers as well. Uh, contrary to this, when someone works hard and actually uh, tries to understand the meaning of scripture and or this parable and finally finds it, he holds that message with greater, uh, greater value. It has a greater impact on them. Uh, it's kind of like when you... Um, when you buy a piece of furniture and you build it yourself, it has a little bit greater meaning to you than if you were to just buy an expensive piece of furniture and have it delivered, if, uh, if anyone's ever done that before. So parables or scripture generally, um, sometimes it's easy, but sometimes it's a little bit difficult and it requires a little bit of research and a little bit of digging. But once you do find the truths um, contained the therein it is like a hidden treasure that has a great value and we kind of um we dig we kind of hold on to it a lot more and, and commit it to us our memory um it also helps us to remember so it's easy to remember the details of the parable itself uh rather than the lesson itself so when we remember the parable it's easy the message will always be remembered with us as well so once we comprehend the parable we can easily remember the truth behind the parable uh, we do this when, with our kids all the time when we try to teach them lessons. Uh, we, we know the story who uh, cried wolf, for example, or we all know what happens to the monkeys who jump on the bed. They fall down and bump their head. So we, we teach them those little allegories so that they can uh, absorb the lesson through a story. And God teaches us the same way sometimes with parables. Uh, so a parable then in the Greek word parabolin means comparison. So it compares earthly matters. It benchmarks from the earthly things that we're used to, uh, things that we're familiar with, um, things in the visible world to help us understand the invisible truths of the spiritual world. It points to some new learning and, and new understanding. So in, in Christ, approximately 30 parables or so throughout the Gospels, he uses everyday events, objects, systems, things that we're familiar with to point to their attention. To point their attention and to our, our attention to the greater truth in, in the spiritual in the spiritual world. So many writings become outdated, but these parables and these truths of the gospel still are relevant today. So, to summarize today's parable of the wicked vine dressers, a certain man planted a vineyard. He leased it to certain vine dressers, so he 
gave it to them um, and paid them to uh, take care of the vineyard. And then he traveled to, as the gospel says, to a far country for a long time. But along the way, he sends servants three times to collect the fruits. And um, But the wicked vine dressers treated them badly. They ridiculed them, treated them shamefully, wounded them, and beating them. Then he said, you know, what am I going to do at this point? So he sends his only son, because for sure they're going to respect the son. The son is like me. He's representing me at a greater high degree of, um, of honor. And uh, of course, they're going to respect him and then give me the fruits of my vineyard. The story goes on emphasizing that, um, of course, you know, you know what happens, that they, the wicked vine dressers, they seize uh, the, the, uh, the son, they kill him in an attempt to steal the vineyard for themselves because they felt that that vineyard was theirs. They felt that it belonged to them. And so they killed the son so that somehow in their mind they would retain ownership of that vineyard. The story goes on, of course, to emphasize that certain expectation of wrath and that the vine dresser, of course, the owner of the vineyard, would come and, of course, destroy those, uh, those wicked vine dressers. The Pharisees of the Gospel agreed with this. They even, uh, in the Gospel of St. Matthew, they, they even said, surely that, that owner is going to come back and destroy them. But in Luke's Gospel, they, it follows them saying, but certainly not us. You know, that's not going to happen to us, God forbid. Because they understood that God was telling this parable regarding them. And it's true that this parable can briefly sum up the history of, of the children of Israel from the very beginning till now. The man who planted the vineyard is, of course, God himself. Um, and the house of Israel is the vineyard itself. And we know this from uh, Old Testament writings, such as, and here's just a couple examples. In Psalm 80, you have brought a vine out of Egypt. You have cast out the nations and have planted it. You prepared room for it and caused it to take deep root and filled the land. In Isaiah 5, we beloved have, my well-beloved has a vineyard on a beautiful, uh, fruitful hill. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant plant. He looked for justice, but behold, oppression, for righteousness, but behold, a cry for help. After, the, after God planted this vineyard, it says that uh, in the parable that he went to a far country for a long time. God freed the Israelites from Egypt by strong miracles and signs. He was present with them every step of the way with, and was very present and visible to them in the plagues and the miracles and the parting of the Red Sea, uh, the pillar of fire and smoke, and his descent onto Mount Sinai to give them the law. Uh, he afterwards, not as much, all the way until Christ appeared in such very clear manners. So if he was on a journey, to, so as it was as if that God was on a journey for a far time, from the time of Moses to the time Christ came. But he didn't leave the Israelites or humanity without witness. Uh, he was always mindful of that vineyard, and he always sent his holy prophets, visiting them with, uh, those, these are the servants, the holy prophets, at various times to collect, to collect the fruits uh, from the vineyard. Obedience, holiness, oneness with the Creator who planted them. But just like uh, the owner of the vineyard, um, you know, he sends them during the, the times, like during the times of judges, during the time of the royal kingdom, during the time of the exile and return. Each time the prophets found, did they find the fruits that God was looking for? Or did they find apostasy, idol worship, and wickedness? And the prophets 
themselves were persecuted just like the servants were and they were killed and they were um, sent away empty-handed Isaiah says O Lord who has believed our report Jeremiah says to whom shall I speak and give warning they cannot give heed behold the word of the Lord is a reproach to them they have no delight in it so the owner of the vineyard is faced with a dilemma and says what am I going to do at this point he could have sent more servants, but the same result would have been expected. So he elevates the matter a little bit more and sends someone with more esteem, his only son, and, and the one that has an equal dignity with the father. So he sends his son, the heir of the vineyard. For sure they will respect him. But the wicked vine dressers, they kill the son. The Pharisees and the Romans at the time, they kill the son outside the vineyard, just like Christ was killed outside of Jerusalem. It's amazing that the, um, the Pharisees and the uh, rulers of the synagogue, they felt that it was theirs, that the kingdom was theirs. We look, we look at it with amazement. How in the world did they believe, like the vine dressers, that it was theirs? Um, and that they could steal it from the owner by rejecting the messages that were sent to them. It's absurd when we think about how the wicked vine dressers dealt with uh, the, vine dresser, or the vineyard owner. Christ and the, the wisdom of the Father came in the flesh to be visible once more to humanity and to the vine dressers themselves. And the Pharisees and the rulers of the synagogues, of course, handed him over to be crucified outside of Jerusalem. It was a scheme to preserve their control of the vineyard. Um, even they themselves say that. Because after the raising of Lazarus, uh, after you know everybody started following Christ, uh, which we read last week, if we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Our place and our nation. They felt it was theirs and they wanted to keep it for themselves. So God followed through just like the, uh, the owner of the vineyard and gave the responsibility for managing the vineyard to others. Namely, he gave it to the apostles and to the apostles successors which are the of course the bishops and the popes that would come after and all of us as well not just of the jewish blood but of all peoples in all places of all cultures in all times these are of course the successors of the apostles those are the new israel the the vineyard that was planted uh, now we are that vineyard that was grafted in this was of course prophesied in many places in the old testament such as isaiah 61 strangers shall stand and feed your flock and the sons of the foreigner shall be your plowmen and your vine dressers. And what amazing vine dressers we had in our church history. When you look at our church history, we had faithful vine dressers, those who faithfully tended to the vineyard and gave and developed its fruit, and we still eat of that fruit of their labors even till today. They became teachers, instructors, they planted the seeds of holiness in the hearts of the believers. Um, by God working with them, they gave us the Bible, they gave us the liturgy, they gave us the sacraments, they gave us the creed, they gave us everything that we have today that we enjoy so many rich blessings from, and we are thankful that they were indeed very good and faithful vine dressers. And many stand today because of their the eating of their fruit. Even contemporary saints like Pope Carolus, the wonder worker who performed so many uh, amazing miracles, Pope Shenouda, who established education in our church, and those they appointed, they and these contemporary saints, they, um, they steered the direction of the church that it's heading today. They did a good job with the vineyard, and we thank God for that. 
But besides this parable summing up the history of Israel, though, it also holds a very um, important spiritual lesson for us as well. We too have been entrusted with many vineyards that we are responsible for and that we're supposed to be taken care of. The world we live in generally is a vineyard. Our homes, our city, our jobs, our even, even our own selves are vineyards. Our families are vineyards uh, that we have to tend faithfully. So I'll ask a few questions. You don't answer it now, but you answer it to yourself. Are we raising our children right? Is our vineyard growing in deeper relationship with our Lord? Look at the example, for uh, example, of St. Macrina. St. Macrina uh, was an older sister who had three younger brothers. Her parents died, and she rose up the three brothers, and because of her holiness and raising this vineyard in a, in a holy way, those three brothers, two of them became popes, one of them became a bishop, and they also influenced another pope, uh, who became a friend of the family. Who was one of those, uh, bish- uh, who was one of those patriarchs? Does anyone know? The patron of which church? St. Basil, of course, right? So St. Basil, his older sister was St. Macrina. If anyone's interested in learning more about her story, we have uh, her writing, uh, about her, her biography, about her life. So in the women's Bible study, we also uh, talked about Tama Verini and how uh, important uh, her mother was to her and how what a huge impact she had on raising this vineyard that eventually grew and became a leader of a monastery and inspired a whole generation of new nuns and raising their uh, their status to an, another level. Our church is another vineyard that we must tend. We're all vine dressers of this church um, because we all have responsibility, not just the priest or the deacons or the Sunday school servants, but everyone has a responsibility to tend to this vineyard that we call the church. Are we laboring? in the church or do we have some sort of service if you're interested in that there's always opportunity to get involved um, so that in the end this vineyard can reap the fruits of salvation to all who are around and a true relationship with God through Jesus Christ our Lord we have also a very important vineyard that we're responsible for it, the inward vineyard the one that's inside of us are we raising this inward vineyard in a healthy manner can we offer fruits to the owner of the vineyard when he comes? Or are we turning him away empty-handed? Are we bringing ourselves closer to him as we progress in the spiritual path? Or is it even relevant for us? Do we even care about it? Do we have the fruit of repentance and faith and other good works? These are vineyards that we're responsible for, all of these. They have been entrusted for us for only a short period of time. We read in the story of today's gospel that indeed, it is speaking of the Pharisees, but it's also speaking uh, to the and the rulers of the synagogue of the time. But it's also speaking to us, so we shouldn't be too quick to judge those wicked vine dressers because sometimes we behave in that manner. Do we unjustly think that the things that we have belong to us? Is it my church? Is it my house? Is it my family? Family? The children are not even ours. The family, the job, the money, the the properties, the home. Our very existence does not belong to us. It belongs to the owner of the vineyard, who is our Lord Jesus Christ. All belongs to God. Even when we give to God, we give to what already belongs to Him. But we often insist it is ours. It's the cause of division. It's the cause of battles. It's the cause of wars. It's the cause of families being torn apart and friends um, being uh, losing their friendship. Because we insist that these things are ours. 
We often too re reject the messages that are sent to us. God sends us lots of messages. Do we reject the holy ones that God has sent to us? Um, do we have the Bible somewhere that's collecting dust? That's full of messages to us, but it's, it's somewhere in our house collecting dust? Or do we open it regularly and read it? Do we rebel when God sends us a more stringent message? Like a little bit of a persecution or trial in our life that God sends to us so that we can awaken our, our hearts towards Him again. Do we take that and thank God and repent and, and get the message? Or do we ignore the message and rebel against God and, and argue against God? Sometimes God sends us plenty, he, he always sends us plenty of messages, but sometimes they're friendly and sometimes they're gentle and sometimes not so much. Sometimes those messages are very forceful to us. But it's all with the aim in His love. It's all with the aim of growing the fruit of the vineyard. So when it appears that God is in a far country for a long time, do we doubt that He exists? Do we doubt His love for us? Or do we recognize that it's because of this long suffering and this long period of time that He's away that it gives us a little bit of time to grow a little bit of more time to repent. Because He can come quicker. It's often, you know, Pope Carolla said, justice, we often run after justice when we're wronged, but we run away from justice when we've wronged someone else. We want more time when we've sinned. But when others have sinned, we want swift justice, lightning from heaven immediately, right? We need to respect God's wisdom and taking time in Him establishing justice in due time, and He will. But because of His love for those who can potentially repent, including us, He delays in His coming in time, but He surely will come. Um, for love's sake, offering us time to build that little vineyard as much as we can. Because that time is precious, because the vineyards are entrusted for us for only a short period of time. Because after a blink of an eye, that time will end. And we'll be asked, the vineyard, the owner of the vineyard will come and ask us for the fruit. So may God, uh, through God's mercy, grant us the strength from on high to be good stewards of the graces and the blessings and the, and the gifts that God has given us. And that, so that in the end we can use that for His glory to offer uh, fruits of a healthy life to the glory of His name forever. Amen.